Hello, everybody. This is the Dead Jesters Productions Podcast, episode 27. I'm your host, Josh. As always, joining me is Kyle. And this week, we have a very special guest, Phil from Arc Media. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's good Thank to be you. here. Thank you. Phil, why don't you explain to people a little bit about yourself in, uh, in Arc Media? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Phil Arkansas. I run a video production company um, called Arc Media. We're based in Birmingham in the United Kingdom. Uh, we've been going for 11 years now, producing a real mixture of promotional videos, social media content, and then from time to time, when when budget and time allows, uh, we like to do uh, low-budget, sort of micro-budget feature films as well. Um, so, yeah, we work with a, an array of clients from the local zoo to construction companies. Um, we might have a project um, for Pepsi-Cola, actually, in the next couple of weeks. So, so it's a real nice. mixture, really, of what, of what we do. Um, but we're experts in video production. Awesome, awesome. So I guess my first question would be, how did you get into the field and like what made you decide to start with Arc Media? Sure. Uh, yeah, so my background is I, I have a degree in media production uh, and then straight after uni or uh, college, um, we um, I sort of focused on getting a job for a television production company uh, and then within about six months, I was really fortunate because the company I was working for, I started at the bottom as a runner, like most people tend to do, but uh, that they could see that I'd got quite an interest and a skill developed through my time at uni and college uh, in editing, video editing. So, uh, so they asked me if I would be interested in working on a 15-part uh, TV show for the, a British channel called Discovery Real Time, as part of the Discovery Group. And um, it was a DIY show with a, a British sort of building expert who had got a bit of um, fame in the UK. Um, and they, they set me to task to edit an episode of the previous season with the view of then, if I was good enough, to actually cut 15 episodes of the following season. Uh, and it all went well. And then within about six, six months out of university, uh, I was editing this 15-part series um, and then I stayed there for about five or six years. Uh, this was around the 2008 sort of credit crunch time. So the market dried up in Britain, as I imagine it did in the States as well. And from that, I uh, formed Arc Media with a partner in 2009. Um, still wanting to get back into TV, but at the same time, realising the marketplace had changed. Being from Birmingham, it's not the same as living in London. We're, we're about two hours north of London. Um, which which is fine for commuting and, and going down there to work, but actually got a young family up in Birmingham. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather be local to my family. So yeah. setting up my own company felt like the right thing to do. Um, and that was now 11 years ago. Uh, and over that time, because of my editing background, what, what tended to happen in the early days is we would always lean towards trying to do low-budget feature films as well. Mm -hmm. So... Although the day job was very much making corporate uh, work and, and you know, the, the sort of following the, the same process, you can still apply that to, to anything that's creative. So we managed to make a really low budget feature film with uh, a cast of three, uh, a crew of about six of us. Yeah. Um, I think it was all told shot for about £10,000, so about $15,000. Uh, that was just mainly on food and hotel bills, stuff like that. 
And um, and again, when you make these things, they're great fun, great camaraderie amongst the cast and the crew. Uh, and you end up with something that, you know, it, it has its limitations because of budget. But at the end of the day, you're very proud of it because, you know, you've managed to get a piece of a piece of film out there into the world, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one, the, the lesson I learned quite early with with making films is when you've got the, the talent and the and the skills of the crew around you, it's not the making of the film that's the hard bit. It's the distribution and the exhibition of the film and finding okay. a home for it. Yeah. Um, and, and that that was the biggest challenge, really. So every every three or four years, when budget and time allows, we tend to have a, a month, maybe usually around the summertime in July, August. When things are a bit quieter on the corporate side, and we we have a go at making a, another low budget film, um, and the one that we made most recently is called Stalked, and uh, it's been picked up for distribution in about nine countries now, uh, including the states, including the UK. It, it's sort of trying to push above its weight because again, we only made that one for twenty thousand pounds, so about yeah. thirty thousand um, dollars, and that one is a sort of low budget horror. Uh, um, but you know, it's 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 done well. It got into Fright Fest in the UK and premiered there uh, last year. And as I say, we picked up a few distribution deals, so we're starting to see a little bit of return on the money that we spent. But it still feels at this stage that type of production is a little bit like a hobby. It's you know, it's um, we have the skills to do it professionally, but I think you need a bit more financial backing and uh, and probably a, a little bit better casting to really you know punch through and. And get the numbers to return on the on the effort that goes in. Fair enough. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I'll, I'll jump back a little bit and I'll kind of work through what you said. <laughs> I know you you'd mentioned going to college, and that seemed to sort of open up some avenues, at least connection wise, for people. Um, do you th- do you think that's for every? Uh, this is kind of a, an open ended question. Do you think call co- like college university is for everybody as far as trying to get into like the uh, film video field? No, not not at all. If I'm honest, um, okay. the I think you can do either. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if you go to college, get your degree, it, it sort of shows great commitment that you can go all the way with education. But at the same time, uh, video and film is such a vocational occupation. Yeah. Um, you know that that sort of saying is you're only as good as your last job has a lot of weight in film. You know, if if you're lucky enough to get an internship or a, a runner's position on, you know, a fairly decent budget, high profile film. Um, I think that can get you to where you want to get to in the film industry as quickly, if not quicker, than going and getting a degree. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, in the UK at the moment, uh, there's a real shift to apprenticeships and growing people as they work rather than being, um, you know, th- purely in the education system. Okay. Yeah. Um, so actually, you know, my business has had five apprentices in the last few years and four of those are still with the business now, even though they've qualified yeah. because it's a great gateway opportunity. Uh, in fact, one of our guys, Joe, he's um, he's 20 years old, um, didn't do particularly well. At his, we've got GCSEs over here, so that's what you, the exams around the age of yeah. 16. Um, but he's an exceptional editor because... He's grown up around YouTube. He's got his own YouTube channel. He's got 20,000 subscribers. He's monetized some of the videos he's done, made some decent decent money for a you know, 16, 17-year-old and, and very quickly developed as a video editor because he's grown up cutting YouTube content, even if it's Call of Duty with, you know, cutting the music to the beat of the gun and yeah. all that type of stuff. You know, that that's teaching people the, the basics of editing. You know, it's uh, they probably don't realize it at the time. They just think they're, 
you know, having a, having a bit of a laugh with mm-hmm. Call of Duty or whatever. And but actually, no, those are the key, you know, techniques that you learn how to how to edit to music and and all the other things. So so actually, now he's twenty years old. He's already edited the last feature I just mentioned, Stalked, and at the same time, he's doing the majority of our corporate work. Nice. No university education, and, and if I'm honest, you know, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have hired him based on his um, his school results, you know. Yeah. But vocationally, a really bright guy, and he'll do really well. And I said to him, you know, if he chooses to in his career pathway, move to London, move to Los Angeles, you know, it, it, there are opportunities there because they will look at him and think, well, yeah, he's really good at editing. And his last thing was to do a low budget feature. So then perhaps he does something you know, instead of being 20,000 budget, it's a hundred thousand. Then he goes from a hundred thousand to half a million, mm-hmm. et cetera. And before you know it, he might be cutting $5 million films that, that, you know, are getting decent distribution and no one cares about your education then. Mm-hmm. However, that said, you know, I wouldn't want to put anyone off going on the the sort of college university experience because I went through it all, and uh, I don't know if you call it freshers' week over in the states, but you know that some of the best times of your mm-hmm. your life are when you first arrive away from home and you know learning to live with your mates and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's a real rite of passage type stuff, and uh, so you know there's a, there's a place for that as well. Yeah, I know. I was looking at a university maybe like an hour away from where I live now, and uh, one of the reasons I, I was asking the question was they. I was going into like graphic design and uh, a lot of the, the students that had gone there have gone on to work at different companies like Disney was a big one. They have a lot of people working mm-hmm. at Disney. Um, I forget a couple of the other ones they had mentioned, but that was one of the reasons that I brought that question up is because they got started as like interns essentially. And so they were, they were working in the field while still, you know, being taught at school. Absolutely, so that, yeah. I was curious about how that had functioned mm-hmm. for you. So, yeah. Um, uh, the other question I, I had then too what I guess what sort of is the your process of uh, when you're when you're making uh, your, your your features do you mm-hmm. have like a specific idea in mind when you start working on them is it something you come up with over the year while you're waiting for like the production time to come around yeah that, it's, it's an interesting question actually and um, that's changed a lot over okay. the year so um, there usually there's usually some idea that comes through the passion of telling a story that either the writer or or one of the team has come up with. However, we now realizing that, you know, if you ever want to move away in that low budget area from just being a hobbyist, then you have to look at what the market wants as well. Mm-hmm. So, so when we were, were working with on Stalked, um, at that idea, initial story level, um, even that went through the sales agent to see what they would actually buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the sales agent gave us some criteria. She said, you know, horror, thriller, it does well. Female lead, quite sexy, does well. Um, you know, lots of lots of action, quite a fast pace to it. It doesn't have to be the longest film in the world, you know, as long as it hits the definition of a feature, which is, you know, about 80 minutes, 80 to 90 minutes. Um, but, but in a way she helped us craft what the initial idea was based on what market demands. Um, Because in the previous uh, films that I produced, what tended to happen is somebody would have a great idea or we'd have a certain actor that would be quite keen to work on on, on an idea that that perhaps would engage with them. But you'd end up making something that falls in the cracks of there's not necessarily a market for it. 
you're trying to do something that perhaps isn't you know in vogue at the moment it's a, a genre that nobody's touching and, and all right you know genres all go around in a big cycle over probably a 20-year um, you know cyclical sort of mm-hmm. pathway but actually you know taking advice from somebody who knows what they're after in 2020 or 2021 or even 2022 because these things take so long to get get moving along it it, it it just seems now in my view you've got to listen to the market if you're at this level of it um so as i say stalked was very much a, a collaboration of the writer director uh, myself as the producer and the sales agent to to give some steer to what the market would would be interested in that's yeah. interesting because that's not what i would expected to see like what sells well and then make it like a lot of my ideas are like spur of the moment it's like oh that's what i will i'll work on yeah yeah i mean that, that, that that's absolutely fine and, and i would never discourage anyone from making the idea that they believe in i think that all i would always try to do with my experience is you know it's show business so you've got to you've got to put the show and the business together you know if you've got the show because it's an idea you love but you haven't got the business because no one wants to watch it and and by default no one wants to buy it then uh, then you know you haven't got you haven't got an end product you've you've got a passion project or or almost a, a hobbyist project and i think that's got to be really careful there because the energy and the time and the money to go into making a feature you know, it's, it's long days, you know, you, you, you tend to have to rattle through pages of scripts, you know, at a rate of knots, you know, and you, you don't really want to be doing that, but you know if you're doing it on the cheap, you can't keep the cast and the crew and the camera, you know, together for, for that long, you know, so you have to be really focused. And, and I think you've ultimately got to do it with the view of something that is going to, to sell if it is more than just a hobby. Yeah. Do you think, is there a specific reason you think why uh, horror tends to be the genre that a lot of people start out in i know like i don't i'm not sure what's like in the uk and over here though there's a huge swath of like horror movies that are a lot of like college students make them as well as like sort of a starter project yeah yeah definitely i think it's it's an interesting one because horror goes two ways doesn't it it's like the budget's too low so it looks absolutely crap Mm -hmm. or um or it's actually quite funky and cool because it's absolutely crap um and I think it, people naturally lean towards it as a genre because if you tap into that raw emotion of scaring people, mm-hmm. it, it's perhaps easier to play if you get it right than perhaps some of the more sort of more in-depth, complex human relationship type Fair stuff. Yeah. You know, if you've got someone running around with an axe or whatever, that's it's a little bit clearer what, mm-hmm. what you know the emotion is you're trying to invoke underneath that than if it's you know some deeply layered rom-com or you know a drama or whatever else so so i think people do lean towards it and i think actually the the market for horror um is probably quite in alignment with the market for films if that makes any sense so you know if if you're looking at young young uh, adults maybe perhaps more male than female again i'm I'm generalizing a little bit Mm -hmm. who are into that type of film and they perhaps consume the most amount of films again i haven't got any you know, data behind me to suggest this, but you sort of know early days when you're making a horror that there is quite a big market for that because there is a lot of that type of content out there on that's been made low budget and you tend to find quite a lot of filmmakers have succeeded from it. Blair Witch, you know, was that $30,000 yeah, okay. made $100 million or whatever. You know, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, he set out, you know, cooking um, things in his oven that had gore like pouring out of them. You know, that, that there is... There is something quite 
niche about horror that I think people think it, it makes an easier access into into filmmaking. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I think it depends case by case basis. But it definitely feels like a good genre to have a have a crack at. You know, would would, would you say horror is a hard genre to get? I, I know you'd mentioned like if it's if it's done poorly, it can be entertaining that way as well too. Would you say it's a hard genre to kind of get done correctly? I guess would be a kind of subjective. I think, so. I think it's it's sort of knowing your limitations of your budget and the ability level within your crew. But mm-hmm. you know what what I found right really good on the last couple of films we've uh, produced that makeup artists that you know yes they can make you know an, an actor or an actress look absolutely great, but mm-hmm. a lot of them love the idea of doing gore or cuts or wounds or whatever else yeah. or burn marks or whatever else and, and i think even people that that are relatively new to the makeup industry that they, they know the combinations of colors etc to make a scar sure. so so you know whether that's just i've been lucky enough to work with people that are quite talented or whether that's quite an early 101 sort of stage within people's development around how to do makeup yeah. you know you can get really effective results with makeup um with with what i think are quite a low budget you know you don't have to go wild with with that um so so i think actually you can make horror work quite effectively at low budget with with you know people that yes they have to have a bit of talent and a little bit of budget but you know it's quite an easy thing to do it's very it's a lot easier than if you're trying to do cgi effects of you know a spaceship or a planet exploding or whatever else but you know because sci-fi is one of my my passions but Mm -hmm. you know that is such a hard genre to 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 make successful at low budget in my view Mm -hmm. you know they always talk about things like star wars being you know low budget when when it was made the the first time around in the 70s but actually it wasn't really you know george lucas was always always in a he's already established filmmaker i imagine it costs a fair few million dollars to make it you know it's it's not it's not quite as low budget as perhaps what peter jackson was doing at the beginning with you know a bit of you know something that he cooked in the oven that exploded with goo or whatever you know it's yeah. uh, yeah, I, I don't think sci-fi is as quite accessible as horror so that might be why people tend to to go for the horror genre as well i think horror genre is, is easy to uh, enjoy as well i know kyle will probably back me up on this one too we like he likes watching a lot of, like i know i do my girlfriend and i uh make fun of a lot of like uh like b-horror films and stuff like that we like sitting out and just kind of enjoying them that way I know Kyle's mentioned a lot of times. He gave me some suggestions for films to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle, what were some of the ones you had suggested to me? I forget. Uh, one of them was yeah. Thanks Killing. Oh, Thanks Killing was one. I don't know if you've seen it. It was that <laughs> college tier. There was actually, I think, I forget how many are in series. It was about four or something, I think. Yeah. They're all terrible. And then there, I forget the actual <laughs> name of the movie. Turkey is what it is. It's that Paul Bunyan CGI horrific uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. monstrosity. Yeah. It's not Paul Bunyan though. It, you'd think it would be Paul Bunyan. It's like Axe Monster or something. Yeah, Thanksgiving. It's, it's terrible. I feel like Thanksgiving's a cult classic though. Something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. relatively well known. But I think again, what what's good about horror is that like, you can go for a night out, have a few drinks, etc., and yeah. get home. You know, pick something off Netflix or wherever, and uh, you know, it doesn't have to be first class entertainment. Yeah. It just needs to be enough to make you laugh, you know? And, exactly. You know, yeah. that, that's the, the you know, as I said earlier, it's the joy of horror is it can be really scary, but at the same time it can be really funny because it's not that scary, you know? And yeah. uh, so, so that's why I think there is quite a lot of these things out there. Nice. So uh, I guess I'll 
I'll kind of transition back to the actual uh, process of making uh, both features and uh, like the corporate videos. Mm-hmm. When when you set out on these, you do you have a set budget right out the gate, or do you kind of figure out what it is you're looking to create and try and figure out how it how much it, you think it's going to cost you? Yeah, well, in in the corporate world, um, it would be that nine times out of ten, the client would have a brief. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll have some idea of what they're trying to solve, if you like. If they've got a okay. problem, whether it's promotional, whether it's educating the staff. Big thing that we're doing a lot of at the moment is return to work videos after mm. COVID. You know, um, you know, I'm not quite sure exactly what the lockdown's like over in the States at the moment, but over here, the last month or so, people have started to return to offices a bit more. Um, so we've been doing the two meet to social distancing, lots of washing hands, wearing face masks, etc. Okay. So we've been doing a lot of content around that. So what you tend to find is the client will say, well, this is my problem. Um, you know, video is a good solution because it's easy to, to get to the staff or to the customers. Um, so then we will price it up. We, we tend to work on pricing based on the services that are required because I think there's two different ways you can price a video. Is One, you can do it on the value that it offers to the client, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit a little bit harder because you have to work out what they would be willing to pay for that. Yeah. The, the more easy, the easier way to do it really is to look at what it actually involves in production terms. So an example uh, with, a, with a, a local zoo to us, um, they reopened a couple of weeks ago and we did all their back to reopening videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked out, it was a day's filming, two days after effects work and animation, uh, a bit of music, a uh, bit of pre-production and organizing the shoots and you know just getting a, a bit of a script together so so we then worked out you know the, the cost per each line of that and then present that to the customer and so it's going to cost you you know i don't know three thousand pounds four thousand dollars what you know whatever it might might be really and that depends on the amount of work that's gone into it at the different layers of production um the, the value approach is to is to value your time based on what you think that it's worth to the client and that as i say that's a lot harder to work out because you could say well the value to that client is that it will educate all of their their customers you know maybe they've got ten thousand customers a a week coming through the doors so what does that what's the value of that to the client but at the same time then they'll probably have a budget internally as to to know what they're willing to what they're willing to spend on it um and, and I think because we use the the price per item sort of model, um, they can do a rough calculation on what they expect it to cost anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, it is very much working on that exchange of time and for for money really for a lot of the work. Um, so so yeah, that would be how we would tend to to do it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I wasn't sure because I know I I used to work in advertising myself. We didn't really do much video work. Um, mm-hmm. It was more like local, like print products, things like that, and then some digital. Um, and a lot of times we'd go in, and it was kind of it was more of the way we would sell. It would be like it's it's how many people were obviously it's like CPM, like how many people were putting it in front of, especially yeah. if we're putting ads on like uh, our business's website. I worked through a, a newspaper, local newspaper, so it'd be like how many people are coming here. Uh, it's basically like page count, like page views, things like that yeah. that we'd sell it as. Yeah. I, I imagine with like video and stuff like that, it could be a bit different because it's like you were saying, like what the value is to the company. It's sort of like an arbitrary number. It seems like a little bit at times. 
but then yeah. you get into the cost of the actual production it makes more sense yeah and I, and I think that that's always the, the the big issue with video production in general is you know you, you tend to get quite a few people that just think it's going to be ridiculously expensive and oh we can't use video we can't afford that you know we need to we need to have a written testimonial because it's you know just words on a page but then the video might be far more engaging uh, but you know they, they instantly say oh no no we can't afford it then you've got the the other extreme that think you know oh well, i can film it on my iphone now why should why should it cost any money you know they're not they don't attribute all the skill and and, and the mm -hmm. the energy that goes into it above and beyond just pressing record on your iphone yeah. uh, and then you've got the ones in the middle that really they appreciate that you know art media is a business of seven members of staff so we're you know we have to pay our overheads we've got you know we've got to pay for our staff we've got to pay for our offices mm -hmm. you know they, they, we have to charge decent rates on that sort of uh, basis really so you do you do end up in this position of having to the very first time you meet a new client whether it's on zoom these days or whether it's in yeah. person you you have to try to pre-qualify whether you know what camp they fall in uh, you know they, they see it as an expensive commodity or they see it with no real value at all or somewhere hopefully somewhere in the middle really so um it, it is interesting because you know being in a business that's 11 years old i've seen quite a lot of change within within what we're doing as well because obviously you know in 2009 the, the whole social media thing was it was there but it wasn't you know, it wasn't as big as it is now. You didn't tend to see quite as much video content on Facebook or Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, certainly YouTube was, was around, but it wasn't really being utilized to quite the lengths it is now. Yeah. Um, so actually by having the, all these extra channels to actually get your content out there, um, it's brought a lot of other people into the market as video production companies or individuals, freelancers. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so what you find now is you, you get uh, the sort of age range that are probably older than me, I'm 40 now, but people who are, uh, let's say, in their 50s or 60s, in, in the UK, they tend to have worked for one of the major broadcasters, so the BBC or ITV, those are the sort of two, two main ones from that sort of age range. Um, and th and they, they expect that, you know, it's a premium elite service, it's, you know, it, whatever the costing is it's going to be expensive but you then bring the the clock forward to to your your, your, your school leavers your college leavers who are say 21 um you know their expectation now is that video is a lot easier video is a lot cheaper i can do it without having to have had that you know bbc training sort yeah. of experience i mean in the uk and i think this does go across to the states as well you know the bbc's clusters are really you know, quite a key player in broadcasting. It's respected as high quality, but actually, as as society's changed and more people have had less exposure to that, um, you know, my, my daughters now they barely watch the television. They're just on YouTube all the time. Um, you know, or playing Roblox seems to be the main thing whilst we've had the lockdown. Um, but you know, it, it's that shift means now that um, there's more people in the marketplace. There's there's cheaper people in the marketplace so actually as a, as a business over the last few years what we've had to carve out is that we, we are very much in that sort of mid to higher end of the quality chain so we are looking at working with companies that are either international or you know they're sort of the top 500 companies in the uk or, or worldwide and um, because i think those are the ones that still have the budgets of those levels 
um, but they also probably won't use a one-man band who's 22 years old and fresh out of out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's 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 really interesting how things have changed, and but you're always having to adapt, and I think that's just true of any any of the industries these days, creative or, or web or whatever. Uh, you know, it's constantly evolving, and I think you, you as a business have to be, be constantly evolving as well. Yeah, I know with a lot of the businesses I worked with, they were small. Like, I live in a small town of, like, 1,500 people. Yeah. A lot of these businesses are just one or two people. They're all, like, family-owned businesses, and we had to try and work with a lot of them to get them to understand the value of just the Internet and promotion on the Internet in general because a lot of them would only promote through, like, the local newspaper, yeah. not realizing that, like, I'll, I'll use a jewelry shop, for example. They don't realize they're competing with Amazon, all these other stores online that also offer the same things. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's more readily available because it's the internet. They don't have to travel yeah. out to get it. But, but I think with with what's gone on with COVID, and I know America's mm-hmm. in a very different position within the the cycle of it as we are over here. I think we're coming down the curve, and I think America's still, unfortunately, heading the wrong way at the moment. Just yeah. not good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to get political, but I yeah. think your leadership's not really doing you any favors <laughs> at the moment. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think what what's interesting is that we've found that people are now using Zoom. They're now using Skype and uh, Microsoft Teams, you know, and and they're starting to realize that, you know, it's not all about being on the phone or driving an hour to a meeting or, you know, for for instance, if we ever go for meetings in London for a 9 a.m. start, you know, you'd have to get on the train at like 6 a.m. You know, that that sort of perhaps that day is now passed a little bit. Mm -hmm. So actually the web and video and all of those other, you know, areas around there, I think the world's going to sort of change quite a bit over the coming years because it's probably more older people, actually. They're, they're having to adapt just to to get by now. You know, in the past, it's like, you know, a, a lot of people... It's funny, like with my parents, whenever we go on holiday, the only time we would ever use FaceTime uh, would be when we were abroad. Uh, I don't know why. But then, um, but then now, it's like it's sort of become commonplace to use zoom or you know it's actually weird when the phone rings and there's no video attached to it um so it just shows you how things have changed and i think you know wherever you are in the world um all of those changes are going to start to to sort of trickle through to people like you say in in your town if you if you've got a lot of people who are still using the newspapers to advertise Mm -hmm. you know i think progressively things like newspapers will probably die a death because people will start using Facebook to advertise, you know, selling a car or all that stuff that is listed in the back of the papers and stuff. That'll just, that will slowly vanish. I think our local paper, um, they haven't printed an edition and it's usually a weekly paper. Mm -hmm. You know, our our town's probably got 100,000 people, Um, but I don't think they've printed the paper since the lockdown started in March. and I don't. I, I suspect it will only now be based on the web moving forward, um, and that, which is, you know, it's, it's it's sad in one way because it's the end of a, a, you know, a format that people have loved for years. But you know, and I'm sure you guys are the same. But my phone goes with me everywhere, and yeah. I think I don't, I don't pick up a newspaper anymore. I just if I want to read the news. I'll go on. I'll look at all the headline pages on on a, you know on BBC's news page or Sky News's page or whatever it may be, you know, it's, uh, it's just society's changing at a rapid pace. And, you know, but I think that's where, with what we do as video production company, we're, we're quite lucky that we're in a growth market. Whatever happens with the world in general, video is still going to grow 
even if recession hits, I still think video will do quite well because that's where a lot of things will move to. Um, and I think things like events, you know, if, if we can't have more than, I don't know, 30 to 50 people in a room, what you'll find is a lot of events will then move to videos. They might all be on Zoom, but I think there'll still be a place for pre-recorded content on there as well, which, which suits us as a business. I'll ask you, I'll just touch on it real quick because I know you it's sort of on topic with the, the lockdowns and stuff like that. Yeah. I have family that live over in the, I have family in Oldham and then up in Scotland as well. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I know for a while, my an uncle in, in Scotland, they were only allowed to go, I think like five kilometers from where they live. Right. Is that still a thing or has that been restricted? Uh, no, it's been lifted. I mean, what, what's always interested in, interesting in the UK is that um, in, in this particular sort of COVID outbreak, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales have all sort of done their own thing. So we actually, we just treat it as one big country, which which it is. And I guess in a way it's very similar to you having states that make up the United States. Yeah. Um, but we had, a, we had a filming project in Wales, which is probably mm. a two hour drive from here. There's no hard border at all. There's just literally a sign saying, welcome to Wales. But actually, um, we had to hire a, a camera operator who was from Wales to yeah, film yeah. in Wales because we weren't allowed to go across the border for a, a certain period of time. Yeah. That started to ease back a bit now. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think in England, the lockdown, um, they, they, they did stop us, as a, as a, again, as a video production company, we did stop filming for probably two and a half months. Hmm. We did have one project that was for the Department of Education, so it was... It was technically a government-led project. Okay. So we were sort of given permission to film that. And that was quite an interesting one because what it was was um, it was filming um, videos aimed at five- and six-year-olds to teach them how to read. Yeah. Um, so actually there was a national need for that to have yeah. YouTube videos of lessons after lesson after lesson yeah. um, for whilst kids were in lockdown that they could still learn learn to the basics of reading and i think we're still we're likely to be doing more of those for the the back end of this year and and the spring term as well which which is a bit of a worry because it does make you think from a governmental level they're potentially expecting more lockdowns or a second wave um to hit really but over here what they've talked about doing is is having more local based lockdowns so um leicester which is one of the cities probably about an hour away from me um their their claim to fame at the minute is they won the english premier league completely at the blue a few years ago so what three years ago maybe yeah i think it was about 2016 um but yeah like they've never won anything and all of a sudden the premier league uh but they they they're in a local lockdown at the moment um i think it's about to be lifted because the the numbers have started to drop back down but i think what what was agreed is that we won't have another national lockdown it will just they will just look at how it's going in in certain areas really yeah, we haven't, Kyle, I don't think, have we had any, like, travel restrictions in, like, mm. state or anything like that? I thought no. there was at one point when it was really getting bad. Not like we can't leave the house, but, like. Yeah, because yeah, I know, I think now the only real restriction we have is you're supposed to quarantine for two weeks once you get home, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Is that uh, actually, there was, because my mother was going to go see her family, and that was two hours away and she couldn't because hmm. there was some sort of restriction or something like that. I know there's something from like, like the hard hit areas, like New York was, was obviously one where you just couldn't travel. I think out of state. Um, I think right now there's actually a restriction from uh, Nashville. Cause my I have family down there 
and they're not allowed to travel up here. Um, but like outside of that, I, I think, like I said, around here, people are out and about all the time. Yeah. Um, like everything's pretty much not completely opened back up, but you can go by the restaurants and they're, they're packed up a lot of the times now too. Are they, are they moving tables apart or is it just completely normal? Some places. Yeah. I, I know a lot of the places around, like in, in town here, at least they do, they have like, uh, they'll have, be seated at a table. They'll have an empty table and then they'll have the people seated at the next one. So it's, they do, they are distancing them in that way. A lot yeah. of them are outside as well. And I know in town, um, a couple of they have like a street blocked off and they'll have the tables out in the street because mm-hmm. inside, like at the local pub, like they, they just don't have enough space inside to, to distance people apart like that. They can only fit like maybe 25 people to begin with. So they have to have them outside in order to, to keep them spaced out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Outside of that, it's just basically you're supposed to wear masks in a lot of like the, the shops and stuff like that, but not really a whole lot of, uh, restrictions on on anything other than that i don't think yeah it'd be interested to know like how how your media is reporting it locally over there because what we hear from america at the minute is that the numbers are going up quite badly and it's Mm -hmm. it's just not it's not getting any better whereas a lot of places it's starting to get a bit better i think a lot of it at least from like the media perspective it i think the local news is kind of they're kind of staying away from uh, like the total overall numbers, and at least on our local news, which I don't watch super frequently, I kind of go online and browse it. Um, but like on the actual, when they show the news at night, it's more of here's the breakdown of the number of uh, cases in your your little counties in in this part of the state, as opposed to here it is for the entire country. Yeah, I think like Florida and Arizona, I think each of them had more cases than all of the UK combined, like, <laughs> or all of Europe or something. Yeah. Something insane. Well, I, what, what I found bizarre is like, we, I love taking my, I've got two young daughters and we love mm-hmm. going to Disney World in Florida. Nice. And um, what was bizarre, we looked at their chart and they closed Disney World when there was like 100 deaths or something yeah. and reopened it when there was like, like yeah. it's just like, this is completely the wrong way around. But yeah, they, they put out some strange video about like their reopening as well. Um, yeah. And then I saw someone had re-edited it where it was, it was them like waving, but ev- the voiceover is completely changed. We're like, please don't come. Please, <laughs> please stay away. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, uh, uh, I, I think, I think, I don't know how it again is over in America, but I think it, everyone would just like to see the back of this year and find a vaccine, try and get back to some sort of normality. And, you know, uh, uh, another take that we've had on it actually is that we, we, we have an office. I'm not in my office now, I'm at home. Um, mm-hmm. But, but in our office, um, the idea would be is we go back to the office, the camera crews go out filming, the editors have their edit space, uh, the marketing team have their space as well. Um, but actually what I'm finding is that because of Zoom and because of um, just how we work digitally, so we tend to transfer massive video files using Dropbox. Okay. So, so we'll go out on a shoot, we'll shoot, say, 50 gigabytes worth of 4k footage mm-hmm. but we'll upload it to, to dropbox as a storage mechanism and then and then an editor would open it up uh, you know in their home on, on mm-hmm. the, the computer and download it all and do the edit at home so so actually what we've been finding is there doesn't seem to be a massive desire to go back to the office which is an interesting mm-hmm. one because uh, we, we we find that you can 
get better results collaborating if you're in the same space. But if you're doing a task that just requires, you know, it needs to be edited and it needs to be done by the end of the day or whatever, um, then you don't necessarily need to be in the same place. So I think moving forward, it's going to be really interesting to see how we make it work in terms of people requesting to work from home because maybe they don't need to be in the office, but at the same time, not losing that creative brainstorm and, you know, interaction as well, just being in the same room as each other. So, yeah, I know there's been a lot of talk about that um, as far as people being able to, able to work from home. I mean, I could, for the most part, I could have worked from home. Um, we waited until I think the first week of April before they actually sent us home. But I was out on the road almost every day anyway before that because most of my time is spent going to the clients. Um, realistically, I don't know why they would want us to go, why they would want people to go back to the office anyway because it wasn't as productive. You know, you get all those people in there together and they're chit chatting instead yeah. of working, especially in the mornings. I mean, most of the businesses in, in town here at least don't open until at least ten or eleven. Um, so from eight to ten, we'd be in the office with almost nothing to do because yeah. there's nobody to contact. Um, and then they'd have us go back at the end of the day and it almost felt like we're going back just to show up, um, working from home would save them obviously the overhead of, you know, having the building open and and travel and stuff like that. But I think at the end of it too, there's a certain stubbornness of not wanting to change where they want people to keep coming in just because that's kind of, I think they've, uh, my business, at least, I think they were there for a hundred and some years in that building. So it's sort of, you know, historical to them, at least into the town. Yeah. But I don't know. Overall, I, I feel like a lot of pis- a lot of people would prefer to work from home. I know I was more productive from home. I got most of my stuff done. Like I said, it's easy. rather than me going out uh, to the office, I'm wasting four hours of my day, you know, sitting there listening to everyone else chit chat. I could be <laughs> out doing whatever I need to do. Yeah. Working with the people. Absolutely. It's just occasionally, I think it... it, it probably be a balanced diet of the two so you can get work done but actually you know you might lose that human interaction so it might be nice to just have some of those chit chats as well just so you feel like you know you you are in the team as well rather than perhaps just doing your own thing um yeah um i was gonna before i get too far out of the way um when you're going into i guess we could use both like the corporate end feature Mm-hmm. Is it always the same process when you're working on it? Like you figure out the budget and then kind of figure out how you're going to go about filming it, like casting and things like that? Or is it kind of dependent on the project itself? Uh, it depends on the project. If I talk about the feature, um, the, the the ethos of the feature was that we'll do it as low budget as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what's interesting is it's because we run a corporate company as well. Uh, the revenues from the corporate company would allow the staff the time to work on the feature. Okay. Uh, so although technically everybody's being paid, the, we were still doing it in that mindset of, you know, it's, it's nobody's getting paid, if that makes any sense at all. I see. Um, yeah. So they're all salaried, so they're not losing out. But at the same time, um, you know, it, it's just a different feel to it. So most of the costs would tend to be food, transport, hotels, uh, props, some costumes, um, occasionally location fees, that type of stuff. But again, because of the nature of, of the film, you know, it's done with that ethos of everybody's doing it for free. So, um, which is very different to the corporate side of things because every corporate project, because it's got a company behind it, yeah. 
nothing like that would be free. You know, you, you would you would budget for for cost costumes, you'd budget for actors, you'd budget for you know props, you'd budget for camera operators, editors, producers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, so I think when it comes to a corporate production, as I said a bit earlier on, you know, you would try to establish what the budget of that project needs to be um, and, and build each layer of that into that project. And then you would execute the project based on what you've already agreed with the client. So if you've agreed to do a day's filming, they will get a day's filming. If they want more days filming, they will have to pay for more days filming. Whereas when you're doing the film stuff, it's, you know, it's literally just do all hands to the pump for as low price as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the gentleman trying to sneak in. Yeah, yeah very, very subtle. <laughs> <laughs> have you, yeah. have you ever had like yeah. a, a company that just kind of like gives you free reign, I would I guess would be a good way of, of putting it where they're not really concerned about the cost and they just kind of say, come up with your best effort sort of deal. Um. I'd say there's always a cost implication. I don't think corporates tend to just say whatever. You know, mm. certainly the ones we work with don't have that attitude of I see. Okay. You know, any any cost will do. Um, I suppose what what's interesting with with about four or five of our clients, they're they're long-standing clients. So we've had them, you know, between four and five or six years. Uh, what we've done with them, rather than every time that they come back for a project, we quote per job. We, we put them on um, credit packages. So they'll agree across the year to spend, let's say, $20,000. Um, and then within that, they will get, say, and I, I'm generalizing here, these aren't precise numbers, but yeah. let's say they would get 100 credits. And 100 credits would break down to, say, four for a day's filming, three for a day's editing. Um, so, so across the year, they would have a budget. They would then spread their costs and pay monthly across the 12 months mm -hmm. um, and that way they're a little less budget conscious because they know they've got a package with you obviously yeah. you still have to give them a report of saying you know we're halfway through the year and you spent 80 credits you've only got 20 left do you want to top it up or are you going to rein it in a little bit so, mm -hmm. so that does give a little bit more flexibility to um, to how we approach charging people it makes it a lot easier than having the same conversation every time of Oh well, that's going to be two thousand. That's going to be three thousand. That's going to be one. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier than having to do that all the time. But then you still, they still always keep an eye on what they're spending. Um, yeah, we we did a very similar thing as far as like budgeting for a year as opposed to by the project necessarily. Yeah. The reason I brought it up is I I I only had one of these in particular, but I had one client where most I'll, I'll say most of our like advertising campaigns were about twelve hundred dollars. Like the median amount would be that. Um, we had one where uh, it was an art gallery and uh, they were just like, yeah, you know what? I, we don't really know what we're doing, um, but you've done really well for us. So you've brought a lot of people in the door to say just 10 grand. We'll just throw it out there and we'll do yeah. that. And I'm like, that's a lot more than I was expecting, but <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best with it. You know, it's they, yeah. they were just kind of like hands off entirely and they let us do our thing, which was, I mean, it was, it was helpful for us because, you know, we communicated it all with them, obviously, but it was helpful for us because it gave us a lot of room rather than being on like a set path, so to speak on how to promote it. They just kind of let us, you know, kind of work in every Avenue we could and kind of make every dollar count as opposed yeah. to putting all the money towards one specific thing. And I mean, that, that can definitely work, you know, but, mm -hmm. but again, I imagine they were still, they were still sort of judging your success based oh, yeah, yeah. on some sort yeah. of, 
you know, key performance indicators or however they measure what mm-hmm. success looks like to them. Um, you know, I think I think they would definitely be keen on that. But you know, if, if they spend ten thousand dollars with you and, and whatever your advertising produces. Uh, $150,000 return, then they're not going to argue, you know? Well, it's interesting because they actually were not, they didn't make any money from the gallery. It was two, right. uh, these, it was actually these two guys who um, they sold antiques, I think. And uh, they just, they wanted to bring art to like a small town. So they were just trying to get people in the door to show off the art and kind of present it to people. They didn't make any money from it at all. It was, the reason they came to us was literally just to get people in the door. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting that they would put so much money down just getting people to come in. But but that that might have been their KPI. That might have been what they wanted to see. You know, yeah. they they might have been calculating how many people you'd got through the door. Yeah, every you know, companies have different ways of measuring. It's not always about financial return. You know, and yeah. I guess um, you know a lot of social media videos are, are like that. You know, you you can it can be judged based on how many views it's had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't necessarily then equate that to how many sales they have or tickets sold or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, they, sometimes their brief might be to just raise awareness of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know we always try to tell people too is is like you know we'll get we'll do our best to get people to your especially with like a, an actual brick and mortar store. We'll do our best to get people through the door, but at the end of the day, your product has to sell itself too. Yeah, you know, I mean, if it's a good product, it'll sell. Um, but that was a big thing, especially with people that were focusing on online sort of things was we can present it, we can give them the click through rate. So they know how many people are going to the website at least. And at that point, it's just whether or not they're, they're actually selling the items. Yeah. But it was interesting. Um, I guess what was the, the last question I'll ask you here too, is what's, what are the easiest and what are the hardest parts of, uh, I guess just working in uh in features and corporate world like what's your hardest part about like the production process i guess i would say um uh, yeah i i would say the hardest part in my in my eyes and this this might be a bit of a a, a strange one really is Mm -hmm. it's actually that leap between when you film something and when the client sees it for the first time um because i in all the process that you have, that that for me is still the, the the biggest leap between what someone's got in their head and how they picture it and what the product looks like. And and that's the bit where, you know, you can get it absolutely bang on. You can go past expectations. But referring to like what they their perception of what it will be what before yeah, they see yeah. it. And now, obviously, obviously you 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 know you can do storyboards, you can show them shots as, as you film it etc um but that it's that leap of faith between all of the talk up to the point and including the point of filming and then the actual you know them seeing the first edit because I, I tend to find that's the point where you, you can get it a little bit wrong sometimes now, now obviously the more experience you get the the more risk you try to take out of that particular part of it but there's still a bit of a leap of faith there so, so I always feel a little bit relieved when a customer says, thanks for the first draft of the edit. It's mm-hmm. looking really good. Or, you know, we've got a few notes, but it's, you know, you're not far off where we wanted to be with this. Because I, I think sometimes, it, you know, you can be thinking as the creative, this is what they want. But actually, you know, you've, you've tried to pull out what, what it is they want in numerous ways through conversations, through storyboards, whatever. But actually, they still 
because they can't articulate what they want, you still might not be on the same page. So, you know, and, and as I say, it doesn't happen very often, but it always still, still a little flutter there thinking, please, when, you know, when that email arrives or the phone rings, yeah. okay, please be good. Please appealing to like it, you know, especially when you're doing something of the, the sort of higher profile. So whenever we do like a TV commercial or you know, we did a, a cinema advert campaign um, before the lockdown and, you know, there is that again that oh you know this is a bigger budget this is a bit more you know please let's not have made or, or not met expectations there yeah. so and i suppose that's just needing us to please and to be honest if, if you're running a business you know one of the things that will allow you to have longevity within a business is being eager to please your customers mm-hmm. and i think that's part of why we've been going for 11 years is because even after 11 years i still want the customer to be really pleased with what we've done um, so, so that would be. Um, what was the other part of your question? Was it that, that was the sort of? It just was the easiest and one of the hardest parts. Yeah, the, the, the easiest. Um, that's a, a, tr- a tricky one, really, because um, I, I suppose with, with with time, things are easier. The more you, the more you learn about business, the more you learn about the creative process. Um, you know the, the the actual. I suppose what it is is sometimes what you don't realise when you've been doing it for a while is you think it's easy, but to the client, particularly if they don't understand video or they just don't understand technology, they yeah. they think it's like climbing Mount Everest. They're just like, <laughs> how can you make that? You know, because I just they can't even understand the concept of pointing the camera in the right direction almost. So mm-hmm. so I think I think it becomes easier with time. Um, and that, and that, you know, that does cover the business side as well. So when I when I set the company up, I'd gone from a creative person working as an editor with no business skills whatsoever, and then started a video production company. So in our early days, we we the very first project we um, we put out a, put a bid in for was for a, it was a, a video for Birmingham University, so the University of Birmingham, which isn't far from where we are. It's obviously a decent client, you know, they're quite in a well-established British university. Um, so we really, really wanted to win the work. And the the the, um, the lady who held the budget, uh, she got a £10,000 budget. So as I say, about $15,000. We, we put in a proposal for about £3,000 mm-hmm. because our mind was like, oh, that's about £3,000 worth of, of work. And she said to us very early on, she said, that's a lot cheaper than all your competitors. She said, do you want to look at that again? Uh, and we're like, okay. So we revisited the proposal and realised that we'd put something like three days editing. And actually the volume of work that she was asking for probably needed about 15 days editing. <laughs> and she knew more about time, you know, working out that time than we did. Um so we went back to her, for, you know, about eight and a half thousand or something like that. So mm-hmm. we weren't quite at the, the max budget. And we won the work and we did the work and it was, you know, it was. But but what I'm getting at is that those early days of business, I had all the creative skills. I had no business skills. Mm-hmm. So as the company developed, I went and did more business courses. So I, I did a business course through the local university um, that, that almost completed the picture of what a business is to me. Because all it was to me was making videos, but actually it was financial management, it was innovation, it was process development, it was operations. Uh, it, it was all of those things that 
you know you need to to run a successful business and we didn't know any of those when we started yeah. actually now 11 years down the line a lot of that feels easier as well so although there's still challenges and i'm still getting better at trying to be the business leader if you like yeah. um, i'd say it, it does feel a bit easier now because you're backed up with experience so that's a very long-winded way of saying experience <laughs> makes things easier <laughs> I was going to say, too, based on what you were saying there, how long did it take you to, I guess, sort of value, like put a value on your work as far as like selling it to people? Because I know like for us, we would go, I would put in bids for people to put ads on the show yeah. and they will just say like, all right, how much would we have to pay to to put a spot on there? Which for me is, is hard because we it's not something we really do a whole lot. Um, we've had, we had, um, uh, or they um, feedback shack was one of the ones we had. They're they're pretty cool. The guy that made it is, is like a cool guy. Yeah. Um. And I was trying to like figure out like we were a new podcast when he first started doing that. I wasn't really sure how to value ourselves, and you know I didn't want to charge him something that was either over overpriced or way too you know lo- much of a low ball for ourselves. Yeah. How long did it take you to kind of figure out how to value like your time and and effort and stuff like that? I don't think it ever stops, to be honest. I still think we're doing it now. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll sometimes look at a project, work out what, what it should cost, and I'd still sometimes be like, will we win the work? And I think part of that comes because of what I said earlier about more people coming into the market, so you're generally a little bit more nervous around cost because you think someone might undercut them. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know if that... I don't know if that completely leaves you. It certainly hasn't with me so far, even even a few years in. Um, you, you're always trying to make sure you, you feel competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I could probably be more confident now with things like day rates and be more confident that, you know, our camera team is worth more than they were five years ago because they're better than they were yeah. five years ago. Um, but I, I, I think it's still very hard to... to to sort of have the confidence there. And I think, you know, sometimes you just have to be a bit ballsy and just say, right, you know, I think it's, you know, I don't know, $5,000 or pounds or whatever. Um, let's just, that's that's my genuine belief. It's 5,000 project. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what they say. And and that it's, it's fear of loss. That's what it all comes down to. Yeah. And you, you think, oh, well, if I did it for three, I, I might win it. But then you might find someone will still undercut you and do it for one anyway. So it's, uh, yeah, it it's really hard. To... You just have to have, have to have confidence in in what you do, but also not be scared if you lose it. Um, you know, you can numerically work it out. I mean, in terms of what you've just said there, if you mm-hmm. if you know how many viewers uh, or listeners you have, you you can equate that to a sort of costing. You know, well, we've got I don't know X amount of listeners, so that should be worth X amount in 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 advertising space. There's probably there's probably areas you can work that out using things like YouTube and how they do their maintenance yeah. to however many subscribers or views you get gets you X amount in return. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. ways around it of you know, finding somewhere to sort of give you a bit of a ballpark figure. Um, but I, I think it just it, it does come down to confidence in, and having belief in, in, you know, what you are worth. Um, and as I said a bit earlier, it's like, you know, um, it can seem really easy to, to perhaps you doing podcasts or, or me producing a video, you know, you, you've, you've learned all about that, but to the person, the other end, like, well, that's, that's the hardest thing in the world. So it's, it's not putting 
it's not putting or devaluing yourself. A, a story yeah. I remember reading in the business book was, um, I think it was Picasso. He did a little sketch. Some, some lady asked him to sketch something on a napkin and he sketched mm -hmm. a picture. Uh, you probably heard this story because I think it's quite a famous one. And, yeah. uh, you know, he said to the lady, that'll be, I don't know, 50,000, whatever. <laughs> and she's like, what? You did it in two minutes. And he says, yeah, but that doesn't equate for the, the 40 years that I spent learning how to do it. Yeah. So it's just having confidence, you know, that, that you know, you, you are worth what you feel you are worth based on the experience. It's not all about time. It's about yeah. experience, you know. So well, That's kind of what I was going to. I didn't want to interrupt you entirely when you were speaking too. when you're putting in a bid, even if you came in, like, let's say you're just a little bit more expensive than a competitor that also put in a bid, you know, you have to be confident to stand by that number saying like, yeah, but you know, I've, I'm confident that we can do it. Yeah. Even if it is more expensive, we have the experience. I think we can do a better job too. Similar to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, yeah. you know, again, I know, I know the supermarkets in the States are different to the ones in the UK, but, but everyone always uses the analogy of like, Waitrose is our most expensive one. And then places like Asda and Aldi and Lidl are the sort of cheaper ones. Uh, and then you've got a range in the middle. Uh, and yeah. it's sort of it's setting out your stall. Okay, am I a Lidl down here or am I Waitrose up here or am I somewhere in the middle? I would say we're probably, if you had a top 10, we'd probably be the third one down in my mind of where I believe we should be as a business. Um, and, but it's, you, you're right, it's, it's having confidence in where you feel you are to say, well, actually, okay, you know, we, we'll charge you the third highest prices. You know, yes, you can go with the eighth highest if you like, but actually the quality you're going to get, if you go with us, is going to be the third highest in quality. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah. You, you've got to work off some matrix, you know, and I think that's, that's how I would suggest is a good way of doing it, is just putting where you see yourself on that value curve really yeah nice yeah i know like even especially with us too like we're even though we we're on episode like 27 now so we've been going we started at the beginning of the year here um but we're still learning as we go along i feel like every podcast we kind of pick up something new yeah. that we can kind of work on um i started kyle was it two weeks ago i started on twitch something like that yeah something like that something like that yeah we started about two weeks ago streaming on twitch Every day I'm learning something new on there. People are giving me feedback on things to add, how to improve, things like that. And I try and take that in and kind of apply it to what I, I knew before and what I've learned, yeah. uh, like actively while working on it. So I think it's it's a combination of, you know, gaining the experience, but being confident in what you already know as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and also yeah. modeling on people that have already been there before you who, who are mm -hmm. successful, you know, the, learning from their failures, but ultimately picking up the uh, the good tips from them as well. Yeah. Uh, mentoring things like that's quite useful you know to just getting advice out of people that have been on the journey before you um you know i, I we do that within the business i i speak to a lot of other video production uh, owners or, or you know ceos just people who are who are higher net worth than i am because i think you know you can learn a lot from people you know it might not, not even be the same field but if they've learned more and they're further ahead of the curve they're going to pull you up the curve quicker and yeah. trying to figure everything out for yourself you know i've been i've been super help super fortunate i've had a lot of people helping me out and kind of helping me figure things out i was you were saying like you had people higher net worth helping you out you, you would talk to i had a friend do similar things he was he would go on cruises he i think he were like disney cruises and he's like yeah these people on here are worth like 500 million dollars a couple of these people he'd run into and so he's he's talking to them he's like how did you get here and they're like yeah you know i just i have a passive income it's just coming in he's like yeah 
they, he's like they act like it's nothing but he's like i don't know how you got to that point though yeah, <laughs> yeah like, i'm definitely. still he's like i'm well, still over here working and, and as i've sort of developed in business what i've started to look at now is getting into property investing uh, yeah. because you talk about passive income that's one of the best yeah. places for passive income um there's a lot to learn but you know even even with that once you've got the confidence to to start executing on a few things you know mm-hmm. you you maybe not 500 million right at this moment but yeah. you know you can you can build up a passive income to take the edge off how much you need to earn a month you know through your job uh, or your business so you know there's there's definitely something to be said there about you know learning more and more in different fields you know i'm really i'm massively into personal development and that's only really been in the last five years so i've, yeah. I've read loads of books you know rich dad poor dad the myth revisited that one was really useful in terms of getting other people into the business so they would do the filming and the editing you know getting me out of the edit suite was the best yeah. thing i've ever done i mean it was <laughs> it was personally quite hard because i love editing and i yeah. grew up editing and you know, I've edited loads of uh, feature films. I've also, you know, done tons of telly and, and corporate. But actually to to move me out of that has allowed me to grow the business because I'm focused more on business development. And a lot of that came through through personal development because, you know, you're acquiring knowledge all the time to get better at what you do. Nice. I'll ask, I guess I'll ask one more question before we go to the wrap-up since we're a little over an hour here already. Did you have uh, like set goals for yourself as you built the company up? And then um, so like, did you hit them and what were they? Not to start with, no. Uh, I okay. think the first, um, I'd probably say five years, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. was survival. I, we, we, um, when I set the company up, actually, we just had a, a baby. So mm-hmm. I had the zero to five age of doing the nappies and all that type of stuff. So right. I think that's a little bit of a distraction. So you, you haven't got, full focus i mean to be fair my daughter's now a 10 and 6 so i still haven't got complete full focus yeah. but you know they, they still they, they still take a lot of time which is great you know it's the whole part, part of living is to have a family etc mm-hmm. um so actually what i'm finding is as they get a little bit older and there's more time available for me to to grow the company i have got more strategic so perhaps in the last five years uh, of the business we have a three-year business plan now. We've worked with a business consultant to develop that plan. Um, my, my personal goals, I write everything down now. I do um, what they call mind maps of what I want to achieve in the year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we, I tend to do one at the end of December um, for the year ahead and then review that at the end of December and think, well, okay, what percent of that did I do? And, and I have to be honest, the last few years, it's been really good because I feel now I've started hitting like 80, 90% of what I intended to do. And some of it was quite, quite big targets. They weren't, you know, mm-hmm. not all numerical as well. It's, you know, it's, you know, like last year we, we, we had five family holidays and stuff like that. So we're really indulgent, you know, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was on the, it was on the plan for the year and we executed it. And, um, and I think by being a bit more, organized in 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 your sort of your yeah just looking at every aspect of life fitness family uh, relationship social work investing and passive income you know break it all down into all of the things that that are good in your life and try to improve on them all and, and then yeah but year on year you get a little bit better at, at doing all of those and you keep growing as a person and i think that's it's such a great thing to do um, and I don't think enough people do it. It's particularly when you're younger, 
you know, and, and that would be true of myself as well. Through my 20s, it was mm-hmm. very much just, you know, ride the wave, set up a business, make a few quid, do okay. Right. But then in the last few years, it's no, let's be strategic, let's write it all down, let's plan it, uh, right. have some ultimate goals. You know, for example, next summer, we've already decided, assuming COVID's uh, out of the way and, and uh, things are, are better in in the states you know we want to go on a family holiday to california and then uh, during that holiday fly to hawaii for a couple of weeks you know and 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 have a great time doing that so that's already in the plan for next year i wouldn't have even dreamed of planning the next year's holiday when i was in my 20s it would be right it's coming up to july where we going this summer you know and i think by having that a bit more bit more organization um it allows me to do more if that makes sense no, that, that that makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, I do. Maybe not quite to that extent, but like I do the same thing. Like I have notes on my yeah. my phone yeah. that I go through, and it's sort of the same thing. Like to, basically, it's multiple to do lists on on things I think I can improve, yeah. or feedback I've gotten from people, things I can work on, yeah, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. I know I have. It's an app called uh, Todoist. Yeah. So it's it's just like I, that can be different like projects, and you can make things like that in there where it'll break down based on each project, the things you need to do to, uh, to accomplish that. So I've been focusing on trying to do that to build up different aspects of, of what we have, like our merchandise. That's great. Um, uh, we had a uh, playmakers wanted is a, they make uh, custom jerseys and, and merchandise. And uh, the, the founder of that has been really cool. He's been helping us work on our, uh, our, our marketing and kind of helping me set that up. So they've been super awesome over there. And I kind of try and take, all the information all these other people are providing to kind of feed back into my to-do list to yeah, kind of that's great. You know, build it up. Um, that's, that's pretty much all the questions I had. Uh, kind of bounced around a little bit there, but no if there's uh, anything else you wanted to uh, to talk about or promote or anything like that, you can let me know. Uh, no, no, all good. I mean, uh, if anyone's in the UK or, or fancies flying us over to the States to make them a, a promotional video or a feature film, then uh, please do. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Do you want to tell people where they can go to to reach out? Yeah, sure. So uh, our website's www.arcmedia.co.uk. So it's A-R-K-M-E-D-I-A. Yeah, so uh, just get in touch. Uh, My email's phil at arcmedia.co.uk. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Everyone can go check out this podcast on Wednesday the 23rd. And uh, you can check us out, digestproductions.live. It has links to all of our stuff. Thank you again, Phil, for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you.